Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and get the latest economic insights from our in-house economics team. Good morning to our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Morning, Craig. Matthew, we've had some questions come in from an institutional investor, Alex, following our recent podcast on housing affordability. His questions stem from declines over the past decade in productivity, economic growth, and real wages. His concerns that Australia is largely losing its animal spirit. Is the increased debt burden on households likely to reduce the animal spirit, Matthew? Well, Craig, Alex's observations are correct. In Australia, from the start of the millennium, debt as a share of disposable income is up from 120% to 190%. But at the same time, the average productivity growth rate prior to the GFC was 1.4%. That's now down to 1.1% post-GFC. And GDP growth, which was tracking 3.6% prior to the GFC, is down to 2.6% post-GFC. And finally, real wage growth has halved from 2% pre-GFC to 1% uh, post-GFC. But Craig, other countries have had similar productivity, growth and real wage experiences. The US um, is an example of that. But differently from Australia, they haven't had the same lift in household debt. In the US, for example, um, household debt as a share of GDP is the start of the millennium was uh, 75%. That's roughly where it's tracking at the moment. Alex's question assumes that higher debt levels discourage risk-taking by entrepreneurs. And, you know, face value, that seems a reasonable assumption. But looking at gross debt, just looking at debt by itself, can be a little bit misleading, I think. Over the last decade, if you look at the movement in household net wealth in Australia, that's your assets less your debt, that's actually increased as a share of disposable income from 160% to now 240%. And that's off the back of tailwinds from strong equity market and from housing rising house prices. And I would have thought this would encourage entrepreneurs to borrow. Matthew, you did mention and highlight the interest rate levels there. Has it also led to large corporate Australia having an edge over small corporate Australia? Craig, I don't think so. Large corporations have always had a lower cost of debt than smaller corporations and unincorporated businesses. And in fact, when I talk to my uh, private equity equity colleagues at QIC, I can't help but get a sense that the last decade has been the era of startups, especially in the tech sector. Um, and that seems to be you know, a global phenomenon. Matthew, Alex's last question is, could the demand for households be soaking up the economy's resources in an unproductive way? Look, I think Alex is raising some excellent points here, Craig, and it's possibly uh, uh, the basis for a, for a future podcast. But just let me make a few observations about that last question. Look, houses add to our productive capacity in that they are essential capital in producing houses service housing services. That is, they put a roof over our head without which uh, we wouldn't be very productive at all, I wouldn't have thought. But Alex's point more about are we devoting too much of our resources to housing? Are we creating an oversupply in, and is the demand for housing finance crowding out other perhaps more productive investments? Well, there's some evidence of oversupply in markets for units, particularly in Melbourne and Sydney, not so much for houses. Interest rates don't seem to be affected by the housing demand. There seems to be plenty of capital for those who want Want to, uh, who want to invest at the moment and at record low rates. And in fact, there's evidence emerging that businesses are investing again. The latest national accounts in uh, Q1 showed a lift 
in business investment in machinery and equipment, but investment in non-residential dwellings, you know, offices is still weak and that's not surprising given the COVID hits to do with lockdowns and work from home. Nonetheless, business conditions and confidence are at all times highs and you know, we'll see how business investment uh, progresses in coming quarters, Craig. Thanks, Matthew. And uh, gosh, with uh, Jamie Diamond and David Solomon uh, over the last couple of weeks pointing out how they want their officers to come back to work, that could change really quickly. Thank you also, Alex, for his questions. You're listening to Craig Balanswather and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our chief economist, Dr. Matthew, is going to take us through the economic implications of the 2021-2022 federal budget. Matthew, this week, the Morrison government did release Australia's 21-22 national budget. Is it the budget that we need to have? Well, Craig, it's the budget the Morrison government needed to have. Look, the budget provided support to the economy over the rest of this year and into next year as we as we fight our way through COVID. I think more could have been done for some of those industries that uh, haven't benefited from the reopening of the economy, such as tourism uh, and educational services. And I also didn't like the lack of strategic initiatives. You know, the lack of through infrastructure uh, spending, you know, just spending on, on fixing up our highways that I don't think really cuts the mustard. There's lack of spending on renewables. There's a lack of spending on uh, tech, for example. Also, we failed to use any of the windfall gain we got from higher iron ore prices to really cut into the deficit in the uh, in the medium term. If I look at the deficit in 2023-24 in this budget, it's actually higher than what was proposed in the October budget, uh, despite, as I say, these windfall gains. And I think this is going to leave a large debt legacy for future generations compared to pre-pandemic legacy we're aiming for, which was to be debt-free. Yeah, interesting stuff there, Matthew. Um, Although the opposition leader's budget reply concentrated on the debt burden this budget will produce for future generations, the government did enjoy a largely positive media reaction to their budget the following morning. They were also supported by business leaders, including the Business Council of Australia. Matthew, given your answer before, could they have a point? Well, there are arguments... I think reasonable arguments um, that we shouldn't worry too much about the debt. The debt is serviceable due to low interest rates. In fact, interest payments are going to be roughly at the same level as they were in 2018-19 when our debt was below 20% rather than where it's going to be at 40%. The other argument is one of relativities. You know, our debt will still be low compared to most other advanced economies where we expect debt levels to uh, exceed 100% of GDP. But of course, Craig, things can change. Interest rates can rise. Unforeseen shocks can hit us. And I would prefer to have some fiscal firepower set aside if a downside scenario eventuates, rather than the Goldilocks scenario assumed in framing the budget. You're listening to Craig Balanswaler and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the economic implications of the 2021-22 federal budget. Matthew, I mentioned the BCA support. CEO Jennifer Westercott noted the budget strikes a prudent balance between growth and fiscal discipline. And business and consumer confidence are, of course, at historical highs. Are you being a little hard on what the government has achieved in this budget? Well, Craig, I accept the spirit of uh, Ms. Westercott's statement. I agree, too swift a move to austerity could undermine confidence, and that's important at the moment for us uh, recovering from COVID. But I still think more could have been done in the out years of the budget without unsettling confidence, whilst setting us 
on a firmer strategy for fiscal repair. My fear is a lack of a fiscal buffer to fend off shocks down the track could quickly push debt levels to those that could unsettle businesses and households if the outlook turns sour. And I mean here if a shock occurs even in the near term, debt could blow out further and the medium term outlook could look unsustainable in a hurry. Matthew, you mentioned that Australia has performed well during COVID and of course you also noted that we're not out of the woods. Uh, According to the budget, the international borders may not reopen until 2022, yet this week the New South Wales government has been pushing for an earlier opening due to the importance of international students to the state's economy. So is the government using this budget to prepare us for those potential economic impacts of a COVID outbreak, or could it be just about the November election, Matthew? Mm, That's that's a rather Machiavellian view of the world, I think. The current policy settings, I don't think it'd save us from a COVID outbreak that led to lockdown such as we saw in April, May last year. The current budget's framed more to accelerate or speed up the recovery than to set aside expenditure in the case of, a, of another wave of COVID. I do believe the uh, the budget is designed for an early election and November is a very likely candidate. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our Chief Economist, Dr Matthew Peter, is taking us through the implications of the latest federal government budget. Matthew, you know that I'm a client guy at heart and I have to say the final <laughs> question for the client. What are the implications that this budget could have for our institutional investors? Over the near term, Craig, this year and into next, the budget's going to bolster confidence it's going to support growth. That's going to be good for businesses and households. The RBA is going to also keep interest rates low, and that combination should be good for risk assets. But medium term to longer term, uh, the budget misses opportunities that would help with, for example, Alex's concerns about uh, productivity and growth. There's no strong infrastructure program. There's no serious tech or digital strategy. There's no support for renewables, uh, significant support, I should say, for renewables or climate change. And finally, there's the debt overhang. So near term, it's going to support the economy. It's going to support risk assets. Longer term, there's still work to be done. Thanks, Matthew, for those insights. And of course, thanks again to Alex for his questions. Are the Liberal government still fiscal conservatives? As Matthew highlighted, our domestic confidence could easily crack and there remain many sectors still heavily affected. The budget didn't seem to focus here. However, with low interest rates supporting debt level affordability, the budget is designed to accelerate our economy. I'm Craig Valenzuela for QIC's QPod. Feel free to ask your questions via qpod.qic.com. Thank you for listening and have a super weekend.